0: Hello and welcome to Martian Drive-In Podcast 163. My name is Terry Frost, and this time around, I am looking at Ang Lee's latest movie, Gemini Man, starring Will Smith, Will Smith, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Benedict Wong, and Clive Owen. So I'm definitely going there with a little bit of cloning action cinema. And I'm going to find another movie to talk about as well, but I haven't quite figured that one out yet, but I will have by the end of the podcast. So I'm going to get the contact details out of the way, so sit back, relax, and then I'll get on with the show. Martian Drive-In podcast happens every two weeks. It's a podcast of science fiction, fantasy, and horror appreciation. Sometimes I have guests in, sometimes I'll have a round table, sometimes it's just random particularly when there's a Netflix Marvel Cinematic Universe thing coming up. Feedback is the bread and butter of podcasting, so you can put feedback through at the Paleo Cinema Cafe on Facebook. You can also email feedback to feedbackpaleo, P-A-L-E-O, at gmail.com. You can also support the podcast at patreon.com by going to patreon.com slash paleocinema for as little as a dollar a week. Uh, just be aware when you're listening to the podcast, there may be some naughty words in it, so if there are kids around, you might want to listen to it later on. Yeah, hi, how are you doing? I know this one's late, but I've been getting kind of podcaster's block about the podcast lately, and I've got to kind of work my way through that, so I deeply apologise to people who hang on my every word, but that's the truth of the situation, I've just been procrastinating. I've been doing the other things I'm doing, the um, YouTube and the radio, but... Um, the podcast seemed to have been blocked for me, and I've got to work through that. Anyway, this time around, I am doing Gemini Man, and I'm also doing an Australian zombie flick, which has got a few features of interest, called Little Monsters, which stars uh, Lupita Nyong'o, and also Josh Gad. So, interesting little film. A friend of mine played a zombie extra in that one. So, shout out to Kate Morgan, the Zombie Extra. Anyway, um, I've got a new podcasting desk. I don't need, a, like, a full-size desk to podcast. I just need something to put the computer on, a lamp, keyboard, mouse, and the microphone kind of hangs over it. So, we did the IKEA thing. Um, went down to IKEA. We had to get a new queen-size bed, had to get some new shelving, and I saw this cute little teal, green-gray, desk thing and it was just the right size it's got concealed cabling which is useful because i usually have cables running all over the place when i'm doing anything i've still got cables running all over the place on the desk where i do my video editing so I assembled the flat pack desk yesterday. It's got a drawer that goes underneath it, a kind of thin drawer that goes underneath. I've got lots of little storage boxes to put things in. I don't need a drawer on a desk. And it also means I've got to kind of lounge back under the desk a little more because there's a, just a little bit of extra space where the drawer would be. But yeah, I like the desk. It, it looks good. It looks much better than pretty much anything else in the man cave. And it's in just the right position for me to chill. And I can also reach out and grab from the shelves any movie reference books that I might need for a podcast. So yeah, it's a perfect situation. If it had a commode and a bar fridge, I'd never leave the place. Following the Richard rule, of course, again in this podcast, which means I have to start talking about the movies at the 15 minute point of the podcast. Otherwise, Richard will get unhappy with me. That's Richard H, not Richard C, because there are more than one Richards in my listenership. Um, yeah, so what have I been doing? Uh, not a lot, really. It's been a weird summer, bushfire stuff like that. It seems a very long time since the beginning of the year because of first there were droughts, then there were bushfires all over the place. We smelled a lot of the smoke and we still check the smoke daily to see whether it's going to be a bad day or not. And now they've got floods in all of those areas. So, yeah, we kind of get a little bit of everything here in Australia. And then kind of discussion nationally is around climate change and what we need to do about it. Everybody's in on the discussion except the government. But I'll leave that aside for now. It's time to talk about what I've been watching while I haven't been podcasting. So I will get my boxed up, which has all of the deets, that I need for this kind of um, chat, and there have been a few things. First off, I'll talk about what I saw yesterday, which I'm going to be talking about on ABC Radio. Uh, This afternoon, in fact, I saw an Australian movie, an Australian children's movie, which is a little bit outside my usual comfort zone, and it's called H is for Happiness, and uh, Richard Roxburgh is in it. It also has Deborah Mailman and a few other Australian actors of renown, and a, a bunch of child actors. It's a story of a little girl called Candace who lives in Albany in the bottom part of Western Australia and her familys going through a rough time. She meets a new kid at school a very unusual boy who is his name is Douglas and who has some strange beliefs about the nature of the universe it's it's a good movie um, it, it has a lot to say it, it's beautifully shot. It's beautifully directed. It really does work. And Albany's a very photogenic place in which to set a movie. And I like—I really enjoyed it uh, more than I expected to. In fact, I'm not usually a fan of children's films, but I think this one's got enough meat on the bone to make it uh, worth seeing. And unfortunately, it was going to be released around school holiday time, around the Christmas, New Year break. But all of the big blockbusters, Disney and the other mobs, put out the big blockbuster movie so it didn't really get any chance of being released at that time. So it's been released here in February. And I think if it turns up on a streaming service and you've got kids or you like children's movies yourself, you really should check out Ages for Happiness. So that one is one I recommend. Uh, I watched about 80% of another movie which I'm going to go back and rewatch. A John Ford film starring John Wayne, Lee Marvin, and Cesar Romero. Uh, Donovan's Reef, from the early 1960s. It feels very anachronistic. It doesn't feel like a movie made in the 1960s. It feels like a movie made in the late 1940s, and uh, with the aging stars and the, of course, aging director. It's got a lot of that. It's about a bunch of people living on a Pacific island, 20 years after World War II. Um, yeah, you've got John Wayne and Lee Marvin there. You've got Cesar Romero. And you've got a couple of kids who are the children of the local doctor played by Jack Warden. The doctor's daughter from a previous marriage um, comes to town. She's, the family's wealthy. And she wants to find a way to take the money away from the doctor not knowing that he's got a second family and all of that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, so it's a bit of a dog's breakfast, beautiful locations, lots of guys hitting each other, really weird bar, which includes Dorothy L'Amour in it for some reason. It's It feels old and in a really weird way, but I want to do it. I may well do it for a paleo cinema, because I think there's some stuff to unpack with this one. But anyway, that's Donovan Reef. Um, in order to honour the death of Kirk Douglas, I watched Two Weeks in Another Town, one of my favourite Kirk Douglas movies, directed by Vincente Minnelli. I've talked about it on Paleo Cinema before. About, it's about expatriate American movie people working in Italy, making Italian movies in the early 1960s, out of Chinichita Studios. Um, yeah, it's got Cicci Riese, G. Robinson, Dalia Lavi, George Hamilton... I like it. I think it's a, a missed opportunity because the studio screwed it on the edit. But it's still a good companion piece to The Bad and the Beautiful, the movie that Kirk Douglas and Vincente Minnelli made a decade before. And it's still a movie i go back to every now and then and watch and, and enjoy. Uh, and I love the cinematography in it as well. I watched a movie which was a vulgar pleasure from my youth, which was Invasion of the B-Girls, starring William Smith and Ford and Victoria Vetri. Um, yeah, it's about a whole bunch of um, women who basically become a beehive. There's lots of gratuitous nudity in it. William Smith's The Leading Man. It was made on a fairly small budget in California. And it's very 70s driving. It's it's one of those kind of top-peak 1970s driving movies. Uh, it's got point-of-view shots with multiple bee eyes. Uh, yeah, the, I think that there's a bit of male gaze involved because of the amount of nudity. But for me, it's a movie that I saw in the cinema when it first came out because there was a time when I would just go and see anything that had nudity in it at the cinema because of raging hormones and lack of opportunity, I suppose. So I watched that. I watched a movie from 2010 which few people outside deep-diving film buffs have actually seen. It's the first Wakaliwood movie, um, and it's called Who Killed Captain Alex? I've got to explain Wakaliwood. Basically, it's a slum just in the southwest of the Ugandan's capital, Kampala. And a guy with about $200 to spare decided to make an action film. And it's called Who Killed Captain Alex? It's about a bad group called um, the Tiger Mafia, who are uh, the president of Uganda, gets Captain Alex and his soldiers to go after the Tiger Mafia. It's not complicated. All of the guns in the movie are made out of bits of pipe and wood. All of the bandoliers of bullets have bullets that are basically carved bits of wood in them. There's a lot of post-production done on a very low budget. These guys just loved action cinema, and they made an action movie. The other weird thing about it is it actually has a uh, VJ, a, a video dj narrating over the um footage with in english with some um you know humorous asides and some kind of satirical content in there and it kind of works it adds to it a lot uh, i'm buying a copy of it i actually watched it on um Tubi. it was on Tubi for free but i liked it so much i thought i'm going to fork out the 15 australian it costs to get a copy of this movie sent over from uganda signed by the director which is something that you don't usually get with a movie you buy and i'm kind of enjoying the fact that i'm going to have that copy of who killed captain alex the second movie i've got a copy of but i haven't watched yet which is called bad black and the production values on that one are a lot higher than the first one but it kind of worked for me uh, in a weird way and it also expanded my idea of cinema in an interesting way. And uh, just seeing these guys doing stuff and and seeing the cultural assumptions they come from, they're not particularly educated people, they come from a very poor area, and but they're resourceful and enthusiastic and they made an action film called Who Killed Captain Alex? So you should really check that one out. For the radio gig, when I was doing it with Emma Sleeth in um, Alice Springs ABC, we did Train to Busan. I re-watched Train to Busan, which was a lot of fun on the second viewing as well and was mind-blowing too. um I know that Emma couldn't see it before we watched it, but she's definitely going to be watching that film. And yeah, Zombies on a Train, so there's nothing to like more than that. It does it really well. It turns it into a very human story, becomes a very personalised story about a, a very busy businessman, his young daughter. And some other secondary characters. It's visually inventive, visually imaginative, and it really does work. Um, rewatching it was not a kind of lesser experience than watching it the first time. It really did hold up well. And I'm kind of veering towards that idea of rewatchability and how important that is with a movie. There are some big movies, you just need to see them once and you go, yeah, okay, they're fair enough. That's what it is. Boom. And it's out of your face, out of your life, out of your mind. But this one works. I think that the more character-based something is, even if it's an action film, the more it has that rewatchability. watchability uh, Groundhog Day has that, for instance. But I think from a viewer's point of view and also from a studio's point of view, having a movie that's rewatchable is money in the bank for a studio. And for a viewer, it's a place you can go to where you know what something is You're comfortable with it. You can be nostalgic and you can enjoy something again. I don't think you need to go to the extent that a lot of people are going to where they're watching every Star Wars movie ten times when it comes out. I think that's a little bit obsessive. And I think that there's definitely a lot of diminishing returns there. But for me, re-watching movies occasionally, uh, if the movie does hold up, is great. I've re-watched some movies and it doesn't hold up. And that's kind of disappointing, but I think that there's a certain level of film where you can re-watch it every year or two and still have a valuable experience doing that. Anyway, we're creeping up on the 15-minute mark, so I'm going to have to start talking about the movies this podcast is supposed to be about. And I'm going to start with Ang Lee's 2019 action movie, Gemini Man, starring Will Smith, Will Smith. Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Clive Owen, and Benedict Wong. I'm the
1: best. You are obviously not the best. When I saw him, it was like I was seeing a ghost. Like every trigger I've ever pulled. How'd he start you? Hunting, birds, rabbit? I'm guessing 19, 20 years old, the first time he ordered you to shoot a person. 25 years ago, he took my blood. He made you from me. He's been lying to you the whole time. He told you you were an orphan. And of all the people in the world to come after me, why would he send you? Because I'm the best. You are obviously not the best. You're just trying to rattle me. I'm trying to save you! You made a choice to do this to me. The whole point of this thing was to give you all of Henry's gifts without his pain. I don't want to shoot you! Mind if I shoot you? Henry, has this ever happened to you before? Your own government trying to kill you? Nah, that's new. Everything that we've worked for is at stake. I am just an icon He has to die. He's your darkness. You had to walk through this on your own. I love you, Junior. I am just an icon. Look what we created. You were the inspiration for all of this. Why not just make a whole army full of them? Why not? You should be flattered. You should be dead. This has to be stopped. Because what if somebody actually knew what we really are?
0: Gemini Man's a 2019 action film directed by Ang Lee, and I'm going to watch any movie that Ang Lee makes. Basically, I'm locked on. I don't care what it is. I'm going to give it a go because it's going to be visually interesting. You're going to see the guy's brain at work on the screen, and you're going to probably see some things you haven't seen before. And in this movie, you do get that. There are some action sequences that are done really well, done originally, done with some great locations in various cities around the world. And it works at that level. The Probably the most interesting thing about the movie, apart from the uh, de-aging effects that they use on Will Smith to make his younger clone in the film, is the fact that this movie has been in development since the 20th century. No shit, 20 years development hell for this one, which is kind of weird. I don't know whether they're waiting for the technology to catch up with the storyline, Uh, It's been through a whole bunch of uh, rewrites, of course. Originally, they were going to. um, They had various actors attached to the movie: Harrison Ford, Mel Gibson, Sean Connery, which shows you how long ago this thing's been developed for. There were going to be a number of directors: Tony Scott is now dead, Curtis Hanson, Joe Carnahan. Um, Yeah, it's a really weird uh, story of this movie. Uh, by the way, Curtis Hansen's also dead. But it's a really weird development story here where they, they had a whole bunch of different iterations of it, different ideas for it, and for some reason it was never made. Uh, and Disney eventually got the rights. Um, no, Skydance, sorry, I apologise. Skydance Media purchased the screenplay rights from Disney in 2016, and in 2017 they signed on Ang to direct it they filmed it in 2018, and of course there's a long pre-production with a movie that this is so heavily reliant on CG and and computer effects and getting it just right, then you can understand why there was a a long uh, post-production period for it. It's totally understandable. And one of the things I've learned over the last year or so with special effects work, particularly at this level, and it is at a very high level, there are only a couple of uncanny valley moments throughout this film, is that as you're making the um, the special effects for it and as you're kind of doing all of the texture mapping and making sure that the pores on someone's skin stretch the right way when you're de-aging and, and doing that, there's a, a million details you've got to get right for this kind of thing. And one of the things I've learned is as you're doing this shit, somebody else will come out with a new... Um, piece of software that'll do something else better than the previous piece of software you're using so in a sense you're playing catch-up to stay parallel with the state of the art and uh, yeah it's a really interesting backstory there 20 years uh, I know there have been movies that have probably had longer production held periods but this one for an action film at this level is kind of unique which is one of the reasons why Jerry Brookham was one of the producers and of course, there have been so many different writers attached to it as well. Budget was $138 million, And to be honest with you, allowing for the CG effects, it's all up there on the screen. Made $173 million, which isn't quite break even given the way that Hollywood does its accounting. But I think that um, I don't think it's the best action film. But I don't think it's the best science fiction movie. And again, because we're talking about human cloning here, it's definitely science fiction, which is why it's here on Martian Drive In podcast um yeah but it's an interesting film now i'll give you a bit of a background on it uh will smith the elder plays henry brogan a former marine scout sniper who works for an assassin for the defense intelligence agency because in 2020 we just assume well, 2019 as well we just assume that the american government has assassins it's accepted as part of the geopolitical landscape these days, which shows how far we've come from a movie like 1998's The Siege, which is a very different moral compass than this one does. We see that Henry's a fantastic assassin and a fantastic sniper because there's a bullet train going across Europe and traveling at 300 miles an hour or 300 kilometers an hour or something like that, and Henry from two miles away shoots a person sitting on that train traveling at 300 miles an hour across the European countryside. So we know he is the best of the best and there's pretty much a supernatural level of adeptness at shooting and uh, at tactical stuff. He's the go-to guy. He's um, genetically, psychologically, and physically gifted enough that he can do this stuff. Um, Henry, about 50 and so he retires, And he retires to um, the wetlands around Georgia to a really nice house and decides to just not do this shit anymore. You can understand why. If you've been killing for 25 years, eventually it's going to get old. Um, He adjusts to his retirement. He goes fishing. He has a boat. He's living the quiet life and meets a person who does boat rentals in his local area called Danny, played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead. What she actually is is a DIA agent who's keeping tabs on Henry because that's the way the paranoid assholes who run those sort of agencies work. If you've got somebody retired at that level, you're going to have to keep tabs on them in some way. So she's there doing that. I like Mary Elizabeth Winstead, good actor. She does some great stuff. She's actually getting really good at action scenes as well because I've seen her both in this and in Birds of Prey over the last couple of weeks. And she stands her own in that. Uh, Her character Huntress in Birds of Prey is a little underused and a little underwritten, but she has fun with it as well. And the fact that she's an attractive woman who has kind of innocent looks in in a kind of way and yet she's playing these kick-ass characters. gives a nice tension between the way she appears and the way she acts in these kind of action roles. And I like that. I like that dichotomy. Um, most of the female action heroes you get, and I'm thinking about people like Gina Carano and that, they've had their noses broken, they look tough, and they've got that core strength. But Mary Elizabeth Winstead, because she's so tall, comes out as kind of gawky-looking but she does the action sequence as well. There are, of course, some stunt doubles in there, but there's enough um, actual stunt work done by the actor to really put it across quite well. I'm sure in earlier iterations of the script, she was the love interest for the character of Henry, but in this one, they play... You know, there's a certain attraction between them, but their life paths are very much different. She's career bureaucrat. She's career intelligence. He's uh, kind of... um, useful asset, and even though uh, there are some threats to both of their positions on that, there's not really any kind of romantic tension between them, and that's okay, uh, you don't have to play that game when you're making an action film these days there's allowances for respect and friendship and, and you know an attraction that's never acted upon in this kind of a movie and I think it plays well too because Romantic subplots, to a certain extent, when you're doing this kind of narrative, which essentially is about a man finding a son, you really... Having, having a romantic subplot weighs it down and gives you just that little bit less momentum than you would have otherwise. So the big bad in this one is Clive Owen's character. I can never believe Clive Owen when he does an American accent. He plays Clay Varis, who runs a... Um, company uh, project called Gemini and has a company which is basically um, a corporate mercenary unit that's used by various governments mostly the American government to do the dirty work they want to have plausible deniability on and um, I think that Clavell may have had his teeth done recently because there's a kind of Weird toothiness to him at the moment. You may have had caps done, but it, it makes it just a little bit disconcerting for people who have seen him previously. I think, and I've may have said this before, that Clive Owen's one of the people who would have made a good James Bond. And in this case, you can see him doing an intelligence kind of role, which um, plays to, I think, he, I mean, he's a good character actor. I think he's got the chops for it, but here he doesn't have to be particularly nuanced. He does have to be convincing, though, as a gaslighter, because Junior, the younger clone of the Will Smith character, sees his Clay Varys as his father. He's an adopted father. He was told he was an orphan. He's trained as an assassin, and he does what his father tells him. And there's some wonderful bits of dialogue and acting between Will Smith playing a much younger Will Smith, which is always a bit of a head spin. And Clive Owen as Clay Varys, where that emotional gaslighting that the father figure does to get um, the clone to do what he wants is played with a psychological reality that I admired because it's not inconsistent with my own uh, interactions with my father. So that gaslighting and that psychological pressure does have a validity to it. And I think those scenes play kind of well. Um, of course, Henry is hunted down by the agency and they want to kill him because Clay wants the Gemini program to run ahead. And having the original prototype for his clone isn't something he wants. So they the assassins come in. Um, Danny, the character, played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and Henry kill them off and go on the run. Here's where it starts getting cute, and this is a little bit of fun too. They get a pilot car- friend of Henry's um, a former Marine colleague who works as a tour operator called Baron, played by Benedict Wong. And Benedict Wong has fun in this movie. He really is enjoying himself. And any movie where Benedict Wong is enjoying themselves is a movie you're going to enjoy. He just brings a, a certain you know, interesting quality to his acting. And in this one, he really is um, not necessarily comic relief, but he's a character whose secondary function, apart from being the guy that gets them from A to B, is to humanise Henry and to help shine light on his backstory as an assassin, he's, um, even though he is a kind of stone killer in a sense. He does have friendships and loyalties and uh, a history which kind of makes it a little more interesting. It's not a Charles Bronson kind of character who stands alone. He's a character who does have relationships of various kinds. The movie's locations then move to Colombia in South America and then to Hungary. And there are some beautiful locations, and I think the location scout needs a pat on the back for this one. Because there's a bathhouse in Hungary which is used. There are a number of historic buildings in Hungary. There's the um, really nice old areas of Cartagena, In Colombia, which he used for some of the action sequences, and doing one of the things that Ang Lee does incredibly well, and which is a quality that a number of Asian action directors seem to have, is using things innate to the locations to enhance the action. And there are things like mirrors on walls in stairwells, and um, tiled roofs, and all sorts of things like that, which really inform the action during the sequences where Henry first encounters his younger clone and starts kind of figuring out what's happening. Now, the the acts of this movie kind of go pretty much the way you expect them to in a lot of ways. Um, there's First off, there's Henry going up against an assassin who's as good as he is or almost as good as he is, not being able to see him, and not knowing who he is. You've got the setup of his circumstances and the reason he leaves the agency, all that kind of stuff. You get to that scene, you get to the scene where... They go up against each other and Henry captures his younger clone and then tries to convince him what reality actually is rather than what he's been told reality is. And then there's a third act where things escalate and they find out that there's much more going on with the Gemini program than they had anticipated. And so Danny and Henry and Junior, his clone, have to go up against Clive Owen and an army of soldiers in high-tactical body armour with some incredibly powerful weapons in an urban setting back in the US. And they kind of, again, use the environments really well. Uh, One of the best places you can ever set an action sequence is a hardware store, because there's just so much good shit there you can put into an action sequence. And they avail themselves of that pretty damn well in this movie. It really does... Um, rise to a certain level when that's happening and you're wondering which one of these things on the walls and on the shelves are they going to use? So you've got that kind of playing there. Um, I just look back on the backstory of this movie a little bit more and the history of it. Originally, it was going to star Clint Eastwood, which shows you how long ago this was. This is yeah, kind of around the time Clint Eastwood did um, In the Light of Fire, that's that, far, that long ago. Um, and Nicolas Cage was attached to it at one stage as well, so the crazy history to this movie. Now, was it worth the 20-year wait? It's an action film, you watch it, you enjoy it, probably, and you kind of move on from there because we don't lack action films, and including things that are coming up on... Um, platforms like Netflix, of course, and, and Amazon Prime and other platforms. There is good action entertainments coming up on those too, so it's not the way it used to be where you'd get a couple of ten-pole action films and that was your love for the year unless you wanted to go back and watch a whole bunch of Canon Films' Charles Bronson movies. But for me, it kind of worked. One of the things I, I find interesting about this film is it raises a lot more questions than it answers well it raises questions of the ethics of cloning and of human genetic manipulation it raises issues of what you do when you create a clone and and for what purposes and to what ends and how much nature versus nurture is an important factor in the way somebody develops so you've got all these questions that are raised but never really satisfactorily answered which I find kind of interesting. Uh, They have been answered, of course, in other things, Orphan Black and and a whole bunch of other different works have kind of raised similar questions. And I don't think this movie was meant to be particularly deep. It was meant to have a high concept. What if an assassin goes up against a younger self? Which is fair enough, too. It's a pretty good concept. I'm not knocking it for one tiny bit. But I think that the questions are much more interesting than the answers in this one. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because you can start thinking through the questions yourself. You don't have to be spoon-fed the ethics of uh, genetic technologies. You don't need to be spoon-fed the answers to that. Everyone's going to come up with their own answers on it. For me, I think that um, it's a dangerous thing and it's kind of like drone technology in a way. There are so many things that are done with drones now and there are things that make warfare in particular much more antiseptic you don't get your hands dirty you don't smell the blood you don't you know smell the shit coming out of someone's bowels when you shoot them and so there are certain perils with those kind of um, military technologies and in the same way if you create a whole bunch of clone soldiers Uh, first off are they human well you'd hope so Um, are they legally human which is a very very different question and one which this movie kind of skirts around by getting a whole bunch of IDs for um, Junior eventually, when he, you know, no real sh- spoilers here, when they prevail against the bad guys. And so the, you know, there, there are a whole bunch of ethical issues that come up, which get kind of lightly tapped by this movie, but don't really get fully addressed in any meaningful way. So I want to watch this movie again. Probably, I think that there's enough in the action to enjoy, and I want to take a look at the way that they use the de-aging technologies, um, again, to just because I'm interested in special effects in movies and how they're along, and how they're being used in various ways. And I want to kind of revisit this one to just go in a little bit deeper into that and kind of enjoy the things that get right, and to recognise the things they get wrong. I don't think there's too much to get wrong though. There's, I think, I think, I think, I spot about three moments of slightly uncanny valley. But again, this is a very subjective thing. One person's uncanny valley is another person's. Hey, that's a cute guy. So it's a little hard to objectively and definitively nail that kind of shit down these days, particularly when. The differences are becoming increasingly subtle.
1: Lieutenant, sir, why are we here? It's zombies again. Fast ones or slow ones, sir? Slow. Thank God they're slow. Next stop, Pleasant Valley. having a super fun time on our trip. I want you all in a line in front of me and away we go. Why are we stopping? Must be something in the way. What is it, Miss Caroline? No! Oh, Stop the tractor! Are you okay? Yes! <laughs> Don't be scared. Who remembers how to play tag? Well, those funny-looking people out there are it. <laughs> I don't give a shit. What's happening? We're all gonna die. Are we gonna die, Miss Caroline? No. It's part of the game. The zombies are not real. Like, fuck, they're not! It is a bit scary. What are we doing? We're scared. What's a song we can sing? If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands indefinitely I'm not going anywhere you're bigger idiots than I thought and I thought you were both the stupidest people I've ever met if you're end, you know, off your hands. my job is to keep you safe stay here until I get back behavior is unacceptable next start it. Mass is five years old and if you can't use appropriate language with a five-year-old I'm going to have to ask you to disembark the tractor train <laughs> and wait for us back at the class how do you like it huh oh God what have I done what's that? Oh, I got caught in the middle of a jam fight. Don't
0: taste it, okay? Little Monsters was a bit of a surprise to me. I wasn't expecting them to enjoy the movie as much as I did, and I knew very little about it. It's an Australian, United Kingdom and United States co-production, starring Lupita Nyong'o, uh, Alexander England, Kat Stewart, and Josh Gad. Uh, it kind of starts out a little bit interestingly... Um, that's, uh, the main character is Dave, a foul mouth, washed up musician who goes to live with his sister and her young son, Felix. His sister's played by Australian actor, Kat Stewart. And he's basically pretty much a loser. He's broken up with his ex-girlfriend who's screwing a real estate agent. His life's really on the skids. Uh, he meets... Felix's kindergarten teacher, Miss Caroline, played by Lupita Nyong'o, and he kind of gets attracted to her. There's a um, school excursion to a farm, and when one of the teachers drops out, Dave volunteers to go along and help Miss Caroline with the school class full of five-year-olds on this visit to a farm. Uh, He wants to get to know her better. He's hopeless at it. He really hasn't found his best self, and of course, part of the story arc of the movie is him finding his best self. Uh, I didn't really warm to Alexander England's character, the Dave character, until about three-quarters of the way through the movie. I think he overplays the hopeless, really icky loser. Um Possibly partly due to the script, because there are a couple of bits of it that are kind of irk, but there's that redemption arc at the end, I'm always a bit of a sucker for a redemption arc in movies. Miss Caroline's a very good um, kindergarten teacher as well. She keeps control of the kids, she thinks on her feet, she's very clever. So the kids go to this hobby farm where there are lambs and other animals to pat, and there's you know people dressed up like animals, and... Teddy McGiggle, a big children's TV star, played by Josh Gad, comes to Australia and he's doing a live gig at the farm, so there's lots of excitement among the kids, who all have Teddy McGiggle clothes and um, merch, all their backpacks are the same Teddy McGiggle kind of backpacks, and so they go to the farm, not knowing that a nearby US military base, and yes we do have them on Australian soil, has a zombie outbreak. And shit goes down. The zombies escape the military base and start attacking people and animals on the farm. So Dave and Miss Caroline have to not only fight off a zombie outbreak on this farm, but they have a few other complications, one of which is they've got to look after a class class full of five-year-olds, not let them get scared, not let them get eaten, and to rescue them. Plus, they have to deal with... Uh, Teddy McGiggle, who is not who he appears to be. His real name is Nathan Schneider. He was taught acting by Al Pacino, and he's an alcoholic sex addict Mm -hmm. who tends to um, fulfill one of those particular um, addictions with the mothers of the children he entertains. So not the best person in the world. This movie was uh, written and directed by Abe Forsyth, who's a pretty good Australian genre director. Hasn't done too many films, but then opportunities here in Australia aren't as big as they are in other places. And he's also the son of Drew Forsyth, who is a fantastic Australian actor, who's mostly done comedies, but he appeared in all sorts of different movies, including Stone and a a bunch of others. So Abe Forsyth is second generation, cool actor. And this one really works. Uh, You've got The kids all act like kids and and they're quite well handled. None of them are the precocious kind of acting like small grown-up type kids. You get in certain things, they're all acting like little kids and um, they're all really obedient and friendly. Um, One of the kids wants to play mini golf and he's a bit of a brat but eventually he comes around. Dave's nephew has a um, nut allergy which kind of plays into one of the Action sequences quite well. The nephew's called Felix. And, yeah, it, um, it really does combine comedy with horror and with yeah, a whole bunch of little kids, really interestingly. And there are some nice reactions from the little kids when grown-ups swear under moments of stress, like when the building they're in is surrounded by ravening zombies. And, uh, yeah, it's quite funny the way the kids always react to grown-ups swearing. Uh, it's, it's just fun to watch. Uh, there are a whole bunch of really nice little tropes in there and the way of handling a a class of five-year-olds, particularly when they get hungry and tired and, and all the other things that happen naturally with five-year-olds is done really well. It was, um, inspired by Abe Forsyth's son, his first day at school. So he came up with the idea of doing a zombie comedy. of five-year-olds by taking his son for his first day at um, at kindy. It's nice too to see uh, Lupita Nyong'o, who was in things like 12 Years a Slave and Black Panther and things, using her natural accent, which is a Kenyan accent. She was actually born in Mexico City. Her father was a diplomat, a Kenyan diplomat there, but she um, is of Kenyan origin. And we don't, often as we should, see African people of colour in Australia, though increasingly particularly around the area I live at, there's a lot of Somali Australians. There are a lot of other um, African Australians, first generation and second generation now, living in our area. So in times to come, you're going to see a lot more people of colour in Australian cinema, which is never a bad thing. Of course, we've had Indigenous Australians for the last 60,000 years, but it's nice to see that kind of diversity being made in the casting of actors in Australian films, Now, Even though I said there are kids in this movie, it does have some good gore effects. So if you're a bit of a gore effects fan, you're going to enjoy this one. There's lots of viscera and guts and other bits and pieces. There are half-eviscerated animals, not real animals. Uh, There's a baby lamb that escapes, which I'm kind of happy about because it was quite a cute and photogenic baby lamb. And I'm not sure how they wrangled the kids with these gore effects. But they do a pretty good job of it, too. Uh, It's really nicely handled. And the little kids are as heroic as the grown-ups in some cases, which is kind of nice. I like to see that. Uh, Kids can be fearless. And just an acknowledgement of that. They can also be very fucking stupid, and we get an acknowledgement of that as well. But for the most part, uh, that fearlessness of children and their curiosity and their determination really comes through in this movie in a really interesting way, and it makes it just that little bit different from a lot of the other zombie movies you're going to see out there. It really does have originality on its side. I really like the way that Miss Caroline kept treating everything like a game for the kids, keeping them involved, keeping them focused, keeping their eyes on her when something gory was happening behind them, and treating every attempt at escape and every attempt at managing things as a game. Uh, it really kind of worked, and it is the way that that um, you know, kindergarten teachers would act. There's a, a loveliness to the film and, it, and a sweetness to the film, which you don't particularly expect in uh, zombie cinema. It's not really the first thing you're going to think of when you think zombie movie with children. What you usually think of is the first scene of the first episode of Walking Dead. There is a little political subtext as well, like you know, we shouldn't really let the American government have. Yeah, a hidden secret bases full of um, live zombies or undead zombies because nothing good's going to come of that ever. But, um, yeah, that, that political subtext is definitely there for Australian audiences. I like the movie. It really is sweet and funny and silly. When it comes to a streaming service, people are going to love it. It was co-produced by Hulu, but we don't get Hulu here in Australia. So it'll either turn up probably on Stan... Netflix or Amazon Prime but either way it's a lot of fun to watch it um, uses contemporary music in some interesting ways it's got sometimes got a little bit of a feel of early Peter Jackson about it and other times it's there's you know the uh, Night of the Living Dead homages in their Children of the Corn homages but it's, it's one of those sweet little movies that Unlike the first movie I talked about, Gemini Man, the romantic arc in this film is definitely integral to the story. You can't really have this kind of movie without that romantic arc. And I think it's played kind of well. And there are a couple of surprises in it. There are a couple of interesting pieces playing in there as well. And the character of Dave does eventually grow on you, which is kind of nice. Even though they do kind of steer Dave to being too much of a bastard at the start the redemption arc does work in context and it uses Dave's strengths and talents to achieve that arc. And, and that kind of works for me. Uh, it, it almost went the other way, but I think it's there's just enough there that works. And, and that's great. Uh, Lupita Nyong'o can carry a movie. We know that. And she carries this one pretty well, even though Dave is the viewpoint character. Her character shines. And um, she really does bring us a a teacher that everybody would have wanted to have in kindergarten. She's empathetic, she listens, she corrects, she doesn't talk down to the kids, she engages with them, and it's a really nice little bit of acting there. I, I like the way it's handled in this movie. Uh, Josh Gad's character, of course, is the one who gets to go over the top, crazy, selfish. Um, he ends up drinking hand sanitizer because he can't find any alcohol. He's um, self-loathing and nasty and doesn't come to a good end. Let's put it that way, Uh, without doing any spoilers. People like him in zombie movies never, ever come to a good end. But yeah, I I like this. I like the way that uh, there's a Pied Piper aspect to the movie as well, which kind of works and reminds you at a time when things are quite tense that this is a comedy. And so there are some nice little... Bits of business there, and the nature of zombie characteristics is used in a really interesting way in this film. Uh, It's it's not an A film, it's not a fantastic film, but it's a good film. It's one of those, you know, Saturday nights, you don't want to do anything. You make your popcorn, you get a couple of beers, and you watch a fun movie. Uh, And you can watch it with teenagers. I wouldn't watch it with little kids, because, you know, a little bit too much there. But it's definitely worth checking out if you haven't already and i'll definitely recommend that one it really does deliver the goods on not a particularly large budget uh didn't make a hell of a lot of money but i think it's going to make money on the streaming services as word of mouth gets out there it's got cult film written all over it and i think that people are going to enjoy it once they do get to check it out it did have a theatrical release here in australia but only for a very short time because Disney is swallowing everything and Disney are bastards. So check that one out. Let me know if you've seen it and what you think of it too, because I'm interested in getting other people's opinions on both of these movies, Gemini Man and Little Monsters. Anyway, that's about it for this time around. I'm going to try to make sure that I get things on a more regular basis. Just got some shit in my head to work through with this. Anyway, um, I'm going to put the credits up to one of the Patreon supporters of the podcast and thank you to all of them. And I will be back with a Paleo Cinema podcast. There's a couple of movies I watched last weekend which are going to blow your mind. They're really the best of the best of cinema. And I had a really good time watching them. So, anyway, in the meantime, watch good movies, watch bad movies, watch horror movies, watch clone movies. Keep watching The Skies, and I'll do the credits. Uh, And then I'll play you a bit of music at the rear end of things, which sounded entirely wrong. Catch you next time. Here are the credits for Paleo Cinema Podcast and Martian Driving Podcast, done in the style of movie credits to honor the people who support this podcast. Thank you to Tom, the focus puller, Sarah, the special effects technician, Ian, the caterer, Grant, the Technicolor consultant, Claire, the script doctor, Gary, the prop master. Morris, the Musical Director, Jan, the Dialect Coach, Armin, our Key Grip, Matt, the Rattlesnake Wrangler, Elaine, our Scientific Advisor, Julia, our Casting Director, Chris, our Camera Operator, Christopher, our Gaffer, Miss Jane, our Wardrobe Mistress, Tansy, our Foley Artist, Alyssa, our Location Scout, Mark, our Second Unit Director. Paul, our special makeup effects director, Tammy, the donut wrangler, Tim, our New York unit director, Rabbi Steve, our spiritual advisor, Uh, Steve Sullivan, our director of monster effects, Dylan, our goat wrangler, Eric, our set security lead, Richard H., our set photographer, Mark D., our extra, and David L., our extra. Kerry H who is the accountant and our newest supporter Gary J who is a CGFX technician. So thank you very much to all of the supporters of the podcast. I really appreciate you dipping into your purses and helping out with the podcast.
1: At night A dog closes In a room A crime of passion Cuts the curtain The theater of love So we presume Even dishwashers Get the blue A child baby She said when they parted Night was a time for rendezvous Was it the evil shadow that lurked Or hadn't she been one of that taboo Even dishwashers get the blue Too close, too near, too far, too soon too unpredictable to pretend Every story has a beginning, baby, a middle and an end somewhere in the city at night. A door closes in a room. A crime of passion cuts the curtain love so we presume even dishwashers get the blues a beginning, baby middle and an end somewhere in the city at night a dog closes in a room a crime of passion cuts the curtain a theater of love so we presume even dishwashers